Hello, my name is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to this episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to yet another extraordinary organization serving their community by conserving and preserving our heritage. It could be an organization in your community, in your county, or in your state. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the program. Good day, everyone. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks, the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we feature interviews with professionals from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. We believe people want to have a better understanding of these organizations, know how they're funded, how each is unique to the communities they serve, what programs and events they currently have underway, and what services they offer to the public and their members. We have confidence that this information is vital for people to know how to work with these organizations and how important it is to join, support, volunteer with, and donate to one or more of these core societies. Each guest on our program brings with them a truly unique viewpoint and perspective around how they tell the story of their communities, how they continue to be relevant for the times in which we live, and what kinds of exhibits and volunteer opportunities they have created. This makes listening to each episode of Preservation Oaks interesting, fun, and different each time. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program, or if you have questions or comments about the program, spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. Some historical February birthdays. Thomas Edison was born on February 11th in 1846. Charles Darwin and Abraham Lincoln were both born on the same day, February 12th, 1809. Galileo was born on February 15th, 1564. George Washington was born on February 22nd, 1732. Elizabeth Taylor was born on February 27th, 1932. Happy birthday to Hattie Carraway, who was born in 1878 and was the first woman elected to the United States Senate. She was born in Bakersville, Tennessee. Her husband became the U.S. Senator from Arkansas. Following his death in 1931, she filled the remainder of his term, then was elected herself, serving a total of 14 years. Here's some thought-provoking facts in history. On February 2, 1665, British forces captured New Amsterdam the center of the Dutch colony in North America. That trading settlement on the island of Manhattan was renamed New York in honor of the Duke of York, its new governor. 
On February 9, 1964, 73 million Americans tuned in to the Ed Sullivan Show to watch four people from Liverpool appear for the first time, and they were known as the Beatles. On February 27, 1782, the British Parliament voted to abandon the American War of Independence. On February 3, 1870, the 15th Amendment to the United States Constitution was ratified, guaranteeing the right of citizens to vote regardless of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. On February 3, 1913, the 16th Amendment to the United States Constitution was ratified, granting Congress the authority to collect income taxes. On February 6, 1933, the 20th Amendment to the United States Constitution was adopted. It set the date for the presidential inauguration as January 20th, instead of the old date of March 4th. It also set January 3rd as the official opening date of Congress each year. On February 15, 1989, Soviet Russia completed its military withdrawal from Afghanistan after nine years of unsuccessful involvement in the civil war between Muslim rebel groups and the Russian-backed Afghan government. Over 15,000 Russian soldiers had been killed in the fighting. Couple of jokes. You know you're a genealogist if the highlight of your last research trip was a cemetery visit. And you know you're a genealogist if your collection of DNA results is more important than your collection of knickknacks. You can follow us on preservationoaks.podbean.com, Twitter, Facebook, Reason, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Audible. Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and Listen Notes under. Microstream Radio, Preservation Oaks, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, or Sean Radcliffe. You can email us anytime at preservationoaks at gmail.com. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we'll be meeting with the Onaga Historical Society located in Onaga, Kansas. They have a wonderful society with a number of great things to see and do, including a museum with a collection of antiques and other interesting things from the area. There's also an authentic log cabin, the first jail of Onaga, a country school, and a train caboose donated by the Union Pacific Railroad. These are all located on museum property, and it's a beautiful property. I think you'll enjoy the show. Okay, this episode will be released on February 14, 2022, and so it's our Valentine's Day episode. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Today we greet Austin Anders, the executive director of the Dickinson County, Kansas Historical Society, located in the historic town of Abilene, Kansas. Austin Anders will educate all of us regarding the great work of the Dickinson County Historical Society. If you're a resident in the local area, the program will help you understand what the society has to offer, how you can participate and take advantage of the worthwhile events the society sponsors, and how to best support them by volunteering and donating. Here's a brief biography of our guest. Austin Anders assumed the role of the executive director of the Dickinson County Historical Society in June 2021. He's a native of Dickinson County who came of age on a historical farm south of Chapman and is a graduate of Chapman High School. Austin holds a degree in business management and automotive restoration from McPherson College and has held a number of leadership positions at the Dickinson County Historical Society. 
Mr. Anders brings a wealth of local experience and knowledge along with a passion for artifact restoration, educational event planning, and demonstration of artisanship and agricultural practices of the past. Joining Austin on our program today is Andrew Paincrantz, the curator of the Dickinson County Historical Society. Andrew just recovered from a case of COVID-19, and so we're very glad to see him today. Happy Valentine's Day and welcome to Preservation Oaks, Austin, and Andrew Paincrantz, the curator of Dickinson County Historical Society. Well, welcome. Yep, thanks for joining me. The home of the Historical Society and Museum is in Abilene. For me, anytime someone says Abilene, my mind goes to cowboys and cattle, the Old West, and gunfights. Abilene has a rich history. Can you tell us what makes Abilene unique in history? What makes Abilene unique is that we were the first cattle town here in, in, in Kansas. And that would have been what brought Abilene itself into the, into the spotlight. Actually, probably what made sure Abilene survived in the long run. Before the cattle town days in 1867, we were basically just a small little village with not much here. Just a collection of a few log cabins, and that was about it. Joseph McCoy came in, into Abilene spring summer of 1867 and for a stopping point on like, about, send off cattle up, up the railroad to Kansas City and on Chicago. Yeah, and of course, cattle cattle trade here, you know, at, at the end of the trail, the cowboys were looking for a, a good time after a couple of months of riding, riding and moving cattle. We definitely had some famous people that were here. Tom Smith was one of our famous uh, sheriffs along with Wild Bill Hickok. And, of course, there's always some unique and interesting stories on how they uh, did things. Tom Smith, and he didn't, he didn't really use guns while, while serving as city marshal. He actually uh, used his fist. He was known to say that anyone can bring in a dead man. But to my way of thinking, a good officer is one who brings them, them in alive. Oh, wow. All right. Way to go, and Tom. He, yeah. And he uh, was also quoted as saying, uh, nobody can handle this town if the cowboys go armed. When they drink, they think only of shooting. If they have nothing to shoot with, their drinking and gambling won't hurt much. He would actually ride down the middle of the street on his horse, and that would give him the advantage, the height advantage over, uh, over people. And he would even assume that there was a problem and box the cowboys into submission. He was never known to have actually sold a gun while serving as marshal here in town. Actually, later, uh, he went out to, with a deputy to, to make an arrest of, of a man accused of murder, and his deputy ran, but Tom Smith stood his ground, and he was wrestling one of the guys down and almost had him uh, down when he, when he was shot. Wow. And he, and he still managed to wrestle the guy down, and the other guy came out from behind with an axe and beheaded him. Oh, my. He's buried in the Abilene Cemetery. He was really well-respected. Well Later people would uh, say he was more well-respected than Wild Bill Hickok was here in Abilene. Yeah, Wild Bill Hickok was there, right? Yeah, he, was, he would have been here from the spring, spring to the fall of 1871. Wow, just that one year? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Hickok didn't really stay around too long. They, they didn't like him quite as much. He, uh... Spent a lot more of his time in the saloons, gambling and drinking. Oh, okay. I mean, not drinking as much, but he, he was he was known to go in there and play cards quite a bit. Well, well, the, the other issue that he had is there was some chaos going on down the street one day, and he didn't realize exactly what was all going on, and he ended up shooting one of his deputies, and that kind of put the nail on the coffin for him, right. so to speak, for Abilene. He shot one of the saloon owners, Phil Coe, and killed, and killed him. After he shot him, he saw somebody running up in a dark alley, and so he just turned around and shot without really asking before checking out to see it wasn't actually his deputy coming to his assistance. Oh wow! And he paid, and he and Hickok totally paid the funeral costs for his for the deputy. Yeah, that that kind of put, that, that left Abilene pretty uh, well uh, soured 
So Abilene was was at the end of the Chisholm Trail, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And that trail was like a thousand miles from Texas to to Kansas. Yeah, yeah very much so. When you talk to the people, and of course you read some of the things here at the Historical Society that people have left us. Actually, in Dickinson County, they would stop in a couple little towns in the southern part of the county in Car- Carleton. Yeah, Carleton, Kansas. They stop in Carleton, Kansas. And then they'd stop at the Smoky Hill, which is about five miles outside south of town. And they would leave the cattle there overnight if it happened to be getting late in the day. And then they'd go ahead and cross the Smoky Hill in the morning and bring them on in. And so there's several accounts of the cowboys, you know, their last couple of days on the trail until they headed up, headed up to here. And then there's a marker. It's a stone marker here in town by the railroad depot that marked the end of the trail. Oh, wow. So but, once uh, they got once they got into town with their however many, let's say a thousand cattle, right? Once they got into town, they would get paid because they reached the end of the trail. Yes, that is correct. And they had pockets full of money. They'd been on the trail for a long time, and they would have a good time in town. Yeah, they, you know, they go to the Alamo Saloon and, and, and have themselves a good time and a good drink and find some company that they haven't had on the trail and, and all kinds of fun stuff. But again, and, and we'll go back to Tom Smith here. The, the idea that if you take the gun out of the cowboy's hand, the town will be safer proved to be a very true statement. Right. And so it, it allowed them the, the safety, the, the community itself, the safety as far as not being afraid of being shot. But it allowed the cowboys to, you know, celebrate the fact that they have finally hit the end of the trail. They are getting their pay, and and it's time to uh, to have some fun. Oh yeah. Well, they spent how how long did it take? Do you know from Texas uh, up to Kansas? Approximately two months is what I understand. Oh wow. Um, it depends on what part of Texas they were getting the cattle from. There's some of those uh, trails that are deep into Texas that. You could be almost three months before you get to Ablin. Just think of that. And they didn't have like, well, I'm sure they had sleeping accommodations, that kind of thing. But spending every day for two or three months sleeping under the stars, getting up, eating chuck wagon food and going out. And you had a job that you had to get done. Yep. Wow. Yep. That was a tough life. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what they had to go through. And they were only here for a couple of years. Yep. 1867 to, uh, through the end of 1871. Right. And so what happened in 1871? Did they build a train line down to Texas, or why did they it, stop? It, it, there are some towns further south and further west from here that started to compete, like Ellsworth, I think, was the, ma- the next major one. Part, part of it was because the farmers in Dixon County were not too happy with the cattle trade in many ways. They started a farmers' protective group, the association that started to meet. Cattle belonged to the local farmers. Since they did die from the sex carried up by the Texas cattle. They had a fever that the local, our local cattle this wasn't immune, this didn't have any resistance to. Oh, okay. So, so as far as the local farmers go, now as far as the, the people here in town, they were pretty well getting fed up with the cowboys and the unruliness that was going on, and they wanted to have a more civil town. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes that, sense after years of party time. I think it was either December of 1871 or January of 1872. They created a, uh, basically a, 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 Wow. They put their so, foot down. 
I was thinking that decision that the citizens made back then really changed Abilene from a cow town to a law-abiding civilized town, and that may have made a large difference in its future as well. Yes. Yeah, it, I mean, it did. I mean, you're now you're going to go into a little bit of T.C. Henry and the wheat trade, and he was the first one to bring the turkey red winter wheat in the 1870s. I mean, he originally started planting it in the fall of 1870 in five acres. He secretly planted He didn't tell anybody he was actually planting it. Yeah. He said by 1878, he had 10,000 acres in, in Dickinson County that he planted his wheat. Wow. And, and 5,000 of that went from straight from Abilene all the way to Detroit, unbro- unbroken, just wheat fields all the way from Abilene to Detroit. It actually became known as the Golden Belt because it followed the, the, railroad, uh, the railroad tracks. And according to the uh, local legend, he, uh, the railroad would actually point out the fields on both sides of the Old Highway 40 that passes through that area is also called the Golden Belt Road after that. How did Abilene get its name? Because originally it was named uh, after the, the creek that flowed through. Which, well, the Armstead was named the Armstead Creek goes through on the kind of on the western part of the town. What, what I found that Armstead was actually uh, ended up fighting as a uh, officer in the Confederate Army during the Civil War. Oh, okay. And so they wanted they wanted to change the name since we were a, a Union a Union state. They decided they, decided they wanted to change the name, and so they changed it to Mud Creek. We know that uh, Abilene was, the name was chosen at least by 1860. According to the story, is, uh, uh, one of our early settlers that settled along the, that Mud Creek was uh, a Timothy Hers- Hershey and his wife. According to local legend, she uh, was used the name, so she went into the Bible and opened up to the, one of the names in the Middle East that was called Abilene, and so she chose that the name from the Bible. That is nice. That's a nice story, you know. Now, I heard also that uh, Dwight Eisenhower was born in Abilene. He was actually born in Texas. Okay. But they, they weren't down there too long, so that, and, they, and they would have came up to Abilene when he was still a very, very young child. Um, his dad worked for the railroad, and so they moved a lot until they got to Abilene, and that's where he kind of decided that he wanted to settle the family here in town. He still worked for the railroad, but more of kind of working around the depot and stuff like that. What can you tell us about the history of Dickinson County? was officially formed by the territorial government of Kansas in the, in the kind of the early spring of eight, 1857, when they would have set up our, our boundaries in the kind of our first county seat would have been called Buchanan. But there's, there's some debate over where, uh, where Buchanan was located. Some put, put it in Dickinson, some put it in Sling County. But according to the original re- records from, from the state, it was the first county seat of Dickinson County in 1857, at least. But by 1858, the county seat was moved into a little town called Newport, not too far from where Detroit is today. We would have had people settling what would have been Dixon County as early as 1865, though. It would have been George Freeman would have been one of the earliest settlers up there in the Chapman, on the Chapman Creek area. Well, we have some ghost stories here in Dickinson County, for sure. The one that I'm kind of familiar with uh, has to deal with Chapman Indian Hill, is what they call it. Uh, they're by the golf course, and I always wondered why I couldn't golf very well at this until I heard up at that golf course until I heard this story. When Chapman was first being settled, there was an Indian nation that happened to be going by at that time on, on their regular migration route. And they would stay there for a week or so, as I understand, and one of the settlers and one of the squaw uh, kind of fell in love. And that didn't really sit very well with one of the head warriors because he wanted her as his wife. One night, I think it was maybe a night or two before they were supposed to leave, that white man and, and the uh, um, used to be a war chief, um, they got into it real bad, and the white man ended up beheading him. The head rolled down Indian Hill. Well, 
the story goes is that on a moonlit night, you can see the head rolling down Indian Hill, and the reason no one can play golf very well is because the spirit of that Indian haunts the golf course. <laughs> you look at Chapman as a golf course, I don't know how much you do golfing in, but it's a, a very simple laid out course. Not terribly easy, but can be somewhat considered an easy course. But because it's parked on the side of the hill and because of the story, it seems like everyone struggles in that course. So there's that story, and then there's a story about, in the cemetery itself, which actually sits up on Indian Hill, there's an angel with her hands kind of held in front of her, and in front of her is a stone Bible. And I guess when it was originally set up, it was supposed to be set up where the Bible was supposed to be closed. Well, the story goes is that every time you go visit that cemetery, that Bible is open in different ways, different directions, so on and so forth, but it's a solid stone Bible. So, it's, I mean, there's just little ghost stories like that that you hear every once in a while. Oh, that's great. Now, I heard Abilene is the Greyhound capital of the world. So, yes. do you have a Greyhound track there? We have a couple of tracks, and of course, we have the Greyhound Hall of Fame, and there's kind of a couple of reasons why the the people that own Greyhound like this area. First of all, we're, we're considered the sand hills um, between Abilene and Solomon, and so it's a lot of very sandy soil, which makes it nice for the dog paws. Right. It makes it very easy on their joints and things. The other thing is we have quite a few um, rabbits around the area, wild rabbits, and, of course, when you're doing dog track races, you kind of got to have some way to attract the dogs. So back when it, things were first going, they would find a rabbit and stick it on a stick that would go around the track, and they, the dogs would chase it. That was kind of a couple of the different things that kind of made this area uh, attractive. And ever since then, it, it's kind of grown from there. You know, we have the Hall of Fame here. Um, every year they have the uh, National Greyhound Association racing meetings, annual meetings, twice a year, once in the fall, once in the spring. And then, of course, we have we have two racetracks, a practice track, and then a, uh, I guess you would call it a show track or an actual track. I don't know. There's no betting at it that I'm aware of. It's just kind of to see how good your dogs are. Now, are those tracks indoors, or do they operate in the winter? No, no, they don't operate necessarily in the wintertime. They're outdoor tracks. There is some seating, box seating at the one track, but for the most part, like I said, spring and fall are the two big meeting times. I know they have or have had in the past a summer race there as well. Greyhounds, and they probably ship them to all the, I don't know where all the Greyhound tracks are in the United States, but I would imagine Abilene dogs get shipped out to race in those locations. Yeah, Florida used to be one of the biggest um, states for uh, dog racing. Kind of the, the southern part of the United States seemed to be really big into it. Of course, here in Kansas, at one point in time, it was really big. Not so much anymore. You know, Florida here about two years ago decided to outlaw dog racing oh. because there were so many injuries that were being had at the track with the dogs. There's been some speculation that the Greyhound Hall of Fame may start going the show dog route rather than the racing route on things. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. People are very concerned about those animals and how they're treated. Which, uh, I, I'll, the dog farms I've been around here, I, I tell you what, I think some of those dogs get treated better than us humans. <laughs> but anyways, so yeah. Now, you have a National and State Historical Register of Buildings in Abilene, right? We have 
several of them. Andrew, yeah, there's, there's a local registry of, of historic homes, and there's also a, I mean, there's also a, a state, and I think there's a national one. There's some buildings that are that qualify for more, uh, kind of a local significance, but they they wouldn't still qualify. They wouldn't qualify for a national for a national. There's a, there's a commission here in town that's it's, it's an official branch of the of the government. It's uh, called the Heritage Commission, but they they meet uh, once a month and. And they're the ones that would discuss homes that want to be part that want to be entered into the registry, and, and they would discuss their kind of the ones. They're the ones that would cover their, the history of the different buildings and then make sure that they how they contribute to our the history of the of the town. And now, once they're on that register, do you guys at the historical society give tours of those places? No, I mean most of those homes are owned by individuals, and so it's it's up to the individuals whether they want to do a a tour for people. Heritage homes, which is separate from the Heritage Commission that's, that's part of the city of Abilene, they do a um, Christmas event where they pick about four or five houses in town, and if the people are willing, they'll decorate the houses up and let the public go through their house. And it's a way for Heritage Homes to raise some money to keep themselves going. And Heritage Homes, the main thing that they do is they can help individuals that have bought a house with the research, and then they will give the plaque that says that you're on the state historical register. If you if you really get into it, they'll give you the plaque for the national one. So once you are get on the national registry, your house on the national registry, it actually opens up different financial grants and that you can apply for that you can use to help restore the house back up to its original state. Or or something happens like a tree falls on the roof or something. There is some money available out there either through the uh, federal programs or there's even money through the state. You can, apply for for that. That's really good. We've had a lot of cases here in town where things just get lost because they, they aren't saved. Yeah, of course, here in town, the the Lebel and the Sealy Mansion are probably the two big houses that you can go in. Uh, Sealy Mansion on a daily basis, and the Lebel, he holds different events throughout the year that will allow people to go through. He does a, probably his big one that he likes to do is um, he, him and his daughter and a couple other members of the Community will dress up like the Adams family and, and escort <laughs> you through the house. So, That's cute. Try to have some fun with that. <laughs> so, Austin and Andrew, it's time for our first break for a few minutes. Okay. So, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages. We'll be right back to Preservation Oaks with Sean Thomas Radcliffe after these important messages. Remember that feeling of wonder when you learned something fascinating about the past for the very first time? The Dickinson County Historical Society and Museum is bringing the past back to life. Their goal is to celebrate the rich history and culture of Dickinson County. Be a part of the action by volunteering and supporting the Dickinson County Historical Society and Museum. Visit www.dickinsoncountyhistoricalsociety.com and learn more about this valuable local non-profit organization. Make a visit, donate, join, and become a member today. If you have a society in your area then please support them with both your volunteer time and your funding. It makes a huge difference. The more support a society has, 
the more they can benefit the community in terms of providing records for family research and education for the public and students in K-12 grades. They can fund a museum or sponsor historical and fun events for the public in order to tell your story. Maintaining a society makes a huge difference in a community. Please don't wait. Show your support for your local historical or genealogical society today. They preserve our heritage and culture for existing and future children of all ages. Thank you. Please stay on the line, we will be with you shortly. Non-emergency, how can I help you? I'm kinda worried, I think my wife is missing. When did you last see her? About an hour ago. An hour ago, huh? Well, let's see what today is. Ah, yes, it's been two weeks. Um, does she have a cell phone, sir? Have you tried to call her? Yep, it goes straight to voicemail. I've been trying for almost an hour. Okay, what's her favorite room in the house, sir? I'd say the bedroom. Have you looked in the bedroom, sir? Uh, no. She's probably listening to Preservation Oaks. Preservation Oaks now, really? You can listen to Preservation Oaks anytime by going to preservationoaks.podbean.com. Go check your bedroom, sir. I'll stay on the phone. Okay. This episode is so cool. Come listen. Hello. You still here? I'm still here. Yep. Found her. She's in there listening to Preservation Oaks. Boy thanks a lot. She really loves Preservation Oaks. Of course she does. Every two weeks we get to hear great information from a different genealogical or historical society and we get these types of calls. Tell her I totally understand. I love the program myself sir. Okay, will do. Hey, it's a new episode. I'm going in with her to listen. Sir, I'm hanging up now, sir. At Preservation Oaks, we love history. Not dry boring dates and facts, but rather the stories of the past about the people who were there. We believe history is our cultural fabric. We are very grateful for our historical and genealogical society guests, who share interesting history and information about their society, their current needs, and about what makes them unique. If you're a historical or genealogical society listening to Preservation Oaks, and you'd like to be a guest on the program, please email preservationoaks at gmail.com. Again, that's preservationoaks at gmail.com. Listeners, thank you for listening. You can comment anytime about the show or send suggestions by emailing preservationoaks at gmail.com. Thank you. And now, back to Preservation Oaks.
Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Austin Anders and Andrew Pankrantz from the Dickinson County Historical Society in the great state of Kansas, located in Abilene. For this segment, we'll chat about the society's role in the community, what kinds of outreach, events, and education the society maintains for the public and their members. Welcome back, guys. All right, I want to pick up where we left off. We talked about the county, and we talked about Abilene, some of the history there, and what can you tell us about your society? Can you give the audience an overview? We have a lot of different things at the museum itself. You know, we offer a lot of different activities, events throughout the year. We have one about every other month, an activity that we do. Normally, uh, on a normal year, when, when things are going we start January 29th with what we call a statehood ball. Essentially what that is is a, a contra dance or a traditional dance that we've been done back in the 1860s. When things are going well, we normally have about 70 people attend that event. Uh, we have a, a band here locally called the Brigade Band that plays traditional brass music for the event. And then we have a preceptor that kind of guides the group and teaches the group how to do those kind of traditional dances. We're having in the kind of new this year what we call the metal arts event. Last year we did a uh, just a swap meet, just kind of a, a way to pass the tools along to keep history alive. And it was kind of amongst demonstrators, a kind of a buy sell trade type thing for anyone that you know, if you did trellis sewing machines or blacksmithing or woodworking, or if you did the agriculture demonstration stuff, anything you know, kind of in that vein to kind of keep those groups going. You know. The hobby, um, anymore, you have to buy stuff at auctions. It, it's kind of nice to have a swap meet because then you're not pinning yourself against somebody else. Yeah. Maybe in the same trade or a young person that would like to get into the trade and demonstrate. So we're happy about that. This year we're adding that Metal Arc event. The Kansas All-Star Band is going to play Friday night for us, and that is the May 13th and the 14th here on the ground. Other things that we kind of do community-wise, Pioneer Camp is uh, in June. It's for second through sixth graders. It's in the morning from about 9 o'clock to about 1. And it gives students the opportunity. It's a week-long on how it was like to live as a pioneer. Nice. So we do different things. Like we'll go out to a prairie patch and we'll identify different flowers and plants and things you could eat things you want to stay away from, how to use a cook stove and prepare a meal. We actually butcher a chicken on site every year, which is a little traumatic for those that have not maybe seen that at first. But you talk to them years later that have been doing this, they say, yeah, I remember all the things we did, and they always bring up the chicken. But it's, it's really a good way to help them understand how the pioneers live. Oh, yeah. It was a difficult life back then. It, yeah, at least I think it was. I mean, if I didn't have running water and I didn't have a, a toilet and I didn't have a grocery store and I had to survive based upon my labor, planting stuff in the ground, of course, I could buy things at the store, but I needed money to do that, right? And yep. so I had to wait till I sold my wheat or whatever it was at the end of the season. To me, that takes some real fortitude in order to live that way. Oh, oh yeah, I kind of... You mentioned, mentioned that, and I was going through some of our records. The Lyona Valley was one of the first places settled uh, here in Dickinson County. It'd be on the, um, the central, it'd be the eastern part of the county. And the 
Haystrikes were one of the first families to settle there in 1865. And Mr. Herman Haystrike, Mr. Haystrike, come um, early and set up himself a cabin, got it all built, and went back for the winter time to get his wife and a couple of their kids. When they came back, he had realized, well, she had realized, this is his wife telling him this, that the cabin, the roof, had come, part of it had come off over the winter time, oh. and that some of the chinking had come out. And so she wasn't necessarily very impressed with <laughs> Uh-oh. accommodations, they walked inside and saw that there was a bunch of branches stacked up in the corner of the cabin, and she kind of looked over, well, what's those branches for? And he goes, well, that's the bed. And about that time, a snake crawled out of the branches. <laughs> <laughs> they were good, hardy people. They, they were German Methodists. You know, she um, said, you know, Kansas was undoubtedly a hard place to live, but uh, I ate for his love. He was he was grumpy a lot, but he was a good man, was her <laughs> statement about her husband. It's just amazing what they went through to build some of these things to be able to create a town took quite a, quite a feat. Oh, yeah. And plus, they didn't have really painkillers except alcohol or maybe something called laudanum. Now, uh, now you're getting into the Seeley talk. That's what Seeley's were definitely known for, and Andrew can tell you more on that. They, they made patent, patent medicine. They're the local patent medicine. Yeah, and A, and A. B. Seeley, and Alfred B. Seeley. He, uh, they would have came, they would have been one of those groups that would have came into the Kansas in the 1870s, 1880s. He started a patent medicine company out of his mom's kitchen, essentially, but he, he went on to become one of the most, one of the wealthiest people in, in, in Avalon. They built a, a mansion in 1905 that was then kind of deemed one of the best houses between, I think, the Missouri River and, and Denver. Well, good on and him. They, they first it out of the 1904 World Fair in St. Louis. So what did he make? Did he make painkillers? Any kind of a type of patent method. He had to suffer for pain, suffer any kind of sickness. I mean, oh, good. he put on his bottle that it could cure anything and everything. And of course, a lot of his medicine was also like 60, 70% alcohol. Oh, yeah, of course. One of his most popular medicines was called Wasatusa, and it was good for adults, for kids, and for horses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, those people were definitely ingenious back then, had to be to survive. Now, I heard that, uh, or I, I had read that the, the Historical Society operates a museum and yes. a photography studio. Can you tell us something about those? Well, we'll, we'll start off with here at the Dickinson County Historical Society. We're technically three museums in one. It's, and that's when you come in and get greeted, that's how we say. The first part of our museum inside is the history of Dickinson County. And the second part of our museum is the Independent Telepathy Museum, or telephone. And kind of the story how C.L. Brown shaped the telephone industry. And then we have an outside portion where we have seven buildings that we have brought in. Barn, schoolhouse, the Volkman cabin. We have our 1901 Parker Carousel out back. We have various things for people to see. We, we say across the tracks. It's across the Smoky Valley Railroad tracks to the south of us. It's a 10-acre field that we do quite a few living agriculture demonstrations. So that's kind of us here on site. Now, the Jeffcoat Museum, the Jeffcoats were very famous um, photographers here in town, uh, did a lot of portraits for two, three generations. When the last descendant passed away, the agreement with us and his lawyer was that we would maintain the the bills and the management of the museum. Okay. And we would make sure that there was a curator down there. 
take care of the displays and make sure the photos and everything were properly taken care of. That's very nice. You've got a lot of nice things in that museum, the telephones. What started the telephones? The museum is an independent company, so there's more a focus on these small and uh, independent companies rather than the larger Bell system or, or the larger the larger companies. The guy that kind of started the traveling would have been this uh, Clayton Brown, C.L. Brown. He created a telephone company as, as well as a power company and a number of other businesses. But he, he would have started a company that became known as the United Telephone Company, which eventually became what we know today, our newest friend. So when we moved to here, a little bit of our background and history, we started 1928. Okay. 1928, and we started out of a council meeting uh, here in Abilene, as I understand. We started gathering different things. Uh, Andrew, you have the numbers of how many started. Uh, there was 64 charter members for the Historical Society, and they would have uh, officially formed on May 28, 1928. They would have started the, the process of trying to bring in the artifacts from people that were fairly significant in the county history. And they would have actually started to set up a display in the basement of the Abilene Public Library in 1930. That's kind of when we had our first museum. It would have been actually just in a, in a room in the, in the basement. Wow, the that's library. great. You guys started early. And, and then uh, there was a big flood in 51 that flooded the entire basement of the library. Oh. So a lot of our photographs and collections at that point had water damage. Since the t- at that point, they spent the time in the means of getting, uh, getting it cleaned up. And then in 56, they actually built a new courthouse here in town. And we were starting to run out of room at the library. We, our collections were getting too big, and so we actually moved into the basement of the courthouse okay. in, in, 19, in 1956. And we held an official public open house to the public in February of 1958. And, of course, we uh, started running out of room again in the 60s, and that's when we uh, purchased this building in, in 1971. Yeah, and we purchased that building from the... Um Eisenhower Foundation, but they, they had started all the construction on the libraries and all this and that. And of course they were trying to buy up the land around his boys at home. If you look at, if you look at the Eisenhower, where the Eisenhower Center is now, uh, back in the 50s and 60s, it would just look like a row of houses through that area. And oh, okay. they totally bought up different land and including this particular property we're in. This, me- this museum before we had it was a automobile museum o- owned by the Etherington family. They ran it for probably 10 or 15 years. Then, like I said, we got it from the Eisenhower Foundation. We paid a total of $40,000, but the way it worked out with the tax credits, we basically owed nothing. That's very uh, nice. So, so that was a blessing. In 71, the, the current membership at the time started the, the setting up in 72, is when the independent telepathy group started gathering telephones and, and making the uh, portion of the telephone museum. That was really a perfect time because there was such a transition going on in telephone technology right then. Yes, very yeah. much so. And, and, of course, we look back at our telephone museum. Right now we're going through a lot of renovation. And one of the things we realized with the C.L. Brown timeline, which stops at about 1990, and so next winter, when we do some renovations, we're going to add 1990 to about 2000. So a lot of people come in and they'll get to see a bag phone and the first razor phone that they probably had growing up. <laughs> some of the things that... <laughs> I am so glad you guys are preserving that because, you know, old cell phones, they just get thrown away, right? Yes, left, left and right. In fact, Andrew earlier had one of our bag phones that got donated out. He was checking it out. As well as B.L. Brown, taking into the telephone, there's a, uh, a park just three or four miles south of Abilene called Brown's Park, that where, where he would have founded a park for 
uh, for, I mean, they would have thousands of people coming in on, on a weekend there from all around the state. Wow. It'd be similar to like your Six Flags over Texas or, uh, okay, yeah. Carolina, Kansas City. It, of its time, it would be similar to that. They, they said at one point that they had 30,000 people on that property playing golf. They had a lake. They had a fake boat that was out in the middle of the lake. They had, uh, Camp Marydale where people could stay. Obviously, C.L. Brown built, um, his assisted living facility out there it wasn't that at the time, but it, that's what it is now. And a zoo. He had a zoo. Oh, wow. Um, so he, he invested his money very well. At one point, he his company was in about 20 different states. Majority of it had to deal with either electricity or the telephone itself. And so that's kind of how community-wise, you know, if you go downtown Abilene, there's the United Telephone building that's still in use today. Normally, there's an antique store in part of it, and then upstairs, I think they rent out some of the rooms for people to, to either live in or stay in. Um, I don't know if they've got their Airbnbs yet in there or not, but uh, but yeah, so he, he was definitely the big driving force behind why we have the telephone here today and Sprint for a long, long time and the independent uh, telepathy group to help keep and maintain. We used to have a curator just for the telephone Okay, so when Phil Brown sold out, his company changed names basically to Sprint. They moved the, the, the headquarters up to Kansas City, and of course since then, it's Sprint is now T-Mobile. They kind of merged together. That's how that line works. <laughs> I got it. Did do they still are they still involved in preserving the museum? About, about ten years ago, they got a new CEO in there, and they were looking for ways to cut costs. This was back when they were still Sprint. Yeah. And we were one of the ones that got cut. Now, we have been trying to make some reconnections there with, with you now T-Mobile to see if we can't maybe get a little bit of funding or help from them or even if they donate some old cell phones. Oh, yeah, you that'd know, be great, um, huh? Yeah, so. But anyway. Very nice. Maybe a cell phone tower, too. Those well, things. Yeah, I would argue that. <laughs> yeah. So. Nobody knows really how cellular works. Well, people in technology do, I'm sure. But, I mean, the average person, what they know is they pick up their phone, they dial a number, and it works, right? But there's a whole lot of technology behind it. Well, and it's kind of fun. Here at the museum, we have a, a little section that's uh, it's two rotary phones that you can dial. The one you dial with and the other one will ring. And, of course, you get young people that have never seen a wall phone, oh, much yeah. less, you know, anything of that day, they're just absolutely fascinated that you can sit there and turn that dial and you actually can dial your friend. And, of course, when we have student groups here or school groups here, you know, well, we go well, through our history, we go through the telephone history, and, of course, our big thing is the carousel out back that uh, was produced by the W.C. Parker. Yeah, I bet that's beautiful. So, what's the mission and objectives of your society? Dickinson County Historical Society was established to collect, preserve, promote, and share the history of the county and of the state of Kansas for citizens of the county, schools, and the general traveling public. Dickinson County's unique history of the cattle drive, agriculture development, early settlers, telephone industry, and carousel manufacturing separates it from all other counties in the state of Kansas. That's our mission statement. It's very important because it calls out the uniqueness of Dickinson County. We're definitely
definitely happy to be here. We're definitely proud. You know, back when the settlers were here, there's quite a few of them that said, well, Kansas is just a big, big desert with nothing that you can do with it. And these good, hardy people that were Germans and Swedes came to Dickinson County, you know, the majority of them to settle this place. They found a way to make it happen. So let's start with Austin. Austin, have you always been interested in history? How did you get to where you are now? I, I have always been interested in history. When I was in the second grade, uh, mom and dad bought uh, what was known as Prospect Park Farm six miles south of Chapman, Kansas. And uh, it was built in the 1870s, late 1870s, early 1880s. It's a stone house and two stone barns. And I grew up with parents that, you know, we weren't necessarily allowed to run in the house. And, you know, most everything in the house was original to the house. So we had to be very careful, you know, how we did things and what we were doing things um, on that property. But it, it made it great fun, you know, when you had your, your buddies come over for birthday parties. You had two big, huge stone barns to play tag in. The, the one stone barn is a um, 100 by 50 two stories tall, and the other one is a uh, 50 by 100 two-story barn. That's kind of, I got my love of um, history kind of, you know, actually living in history, so to speak. Now, I, um, my grandfather collected antique cars. Oh, nice. And, uh, that's kind of where I got the love of the mechanical, um, anything mechanical, whether it's steam engine, the antique cars is mostly what he did. He had a 17 Liberty and a 29 Model A, and He'd take us brothers on car tours and, and things like that. Because of that love and that passion that he shared with me, I was able to go to McPherson um, College to get my degree in automotive restoration and business management. Nice. And, uh, is, you know, it's the only place in the country where you can get that kind of education. That's fantastic. So you sort of grew up with history. Uh, very much so. <laughs> and Andrew... What is your background? And can you explain sort of for the audience what a curator does? What do you do as a curator? And and how did you get interested in history? A curator is essentially is the one that kind of oversees the collection, the artifact collection of the, of the museum. So if, some, if somebody donates a, an artifact of some sort, I'm the one that talks to them about the history of that artifact. And I put it in our museum catalog system and inventory and sure we can always know where it's at and then I also help with the creation of new exhibits out in our gallery as well. And then you have to store that or preserve that yes. artifact in a certain way so that it is preserved without too much risk of decay? Yes, we have a lot of, a number of cabinets in, the, in our artifact store where we, where we store that. These are actually old cases from the Eisenhower Center. Actually, some of their, some of their old cases that they, they gave us back there. But we, it has drawers on that we put in our so that we can properly store our artifacts so that they aren't damaged. It's actually, but for many artifacts, it's actually better to be stored in darkness than uh, it's about the best place you can, can store them. Light can cause a lot of damage. Right, and do you have to humidity control that and temperature control that space? Yeah, because humidity is another one of those things that we have to kind of be careful on, but that, that sometimes can be a struggle, building-wise. That can be, sometimes be kind of a struggle, but we, we, we do our best to manage our humidity the best way we can. Yeah course. And how did you get interested in history? I kind of grew up around history. My dad was an archivist over at the Eisenhower Center for about 35 years, and so I kind of grew up going over there with him. I also was in Pioneer Camp here when I was a kid, when I was a kid back in the 90s. Oh my goodness, it, it runs in your family. That's great. Yeah, and, and, and I, I did my master's, master's in history at, Empor at Emporia State, and so I, I kind of grew up in history, and I also grew up out there by that Brown Park, and so I grew up 
climbing all around out there and going over. So I got to see, see the reverend at the zoo and the in the lake out there as well. So I kind of I grew up around history. Thank you for that. Can you tell us any funny or interesting stories from sort of the artifacts you've received or things that have gone on at the historical society? A couple, a couple of interesting things. There was a see the, the Dixon County has had a number of had had about three or four times where we kind of argued over who should be the county seat. Some of the name calling at the time between some of the towns was, was pretty amusing. Uh, <laughs> in 1870, there was a second and a third big county seat fight between a, a, Abilene and a, and a little town of Detroit. And there, each side uh, they had a vote. And interestingly enough, there, in one of the votes, they uh, think more people were voted in it than actually resided in the county. <laughs> uh, uh, Detroit would claim Ab- Abilene still the election, and a- Abilene would claim Detroit, but some of their numbers as well. And Oh, I think one of them they almost went, went to court over it, but it didn't go anywhere. And then 1882, the courthouse burned down in Abilene, so it was an enterprise. But hey, Abilene's not safe for the county, for the, for the county records. It should be moved to the enterprise. Yeah. Some of the words, some of the language, some of the language that used in the newspapers at that, at that time of, about the other towns were, were not very complimentary. So it ended up in Dickinson County. It ended up in Abilene, right? Yeah. As far as I can trace it, the, the Buchanan had been the first county seat, then it would have moved to Newport, and then, they lost it to Abilene in about 1861, and then and there was another vote in 1869, and that was the one where they find some irregularities in the voting in the in the voting, so they reheld held the election in 1870, and then the last controversy was in 1882. And and the reason why the last one permanently kept it in Abilene is because there was a deal brokered between the city of Chapman and the city of Abilene, and what basically happened was is that the city of Chapman got the the county school district, and okay. that the city of Abilene would get the the uh, county seat. And so, when you read through the newspapers, you have the towns of Hope and Harrington and, and Enterprise, and all of them are trying to do what they can to put it in Enterprise because Enterprise is centrally located within the the county. Well, when that deal was brokered, the city of Chapman was bigger than Abil- the Enterprise, and so between Abilene and Enterprise, the two biggest towns. They got it figured out, <laughs> essentially. Fantastic. So where's the society headed next? We're in 2022. COVID, hopefully, is going to go away. Where are you headed next? What are your plans? Our next thing, as far as the grounds here itself, back in 2012, the board voted to do an expansion here on the grounds. One of the things that we've not had here was a place for people to actually hold a meeting uh, we wanted some expanded bathrooms for like bus trips, bus groups, um, school groups, and then we wanted a kitchenette area for the staff. And if if we wanted to have say a birthday party, a group that say like the telephone group or like one of the tractor community groups, like Alice Chalmers or John Deere, one of them wanted to come up, we'd actually have a meeting place for them. Since that time in 2012. Things have changed. We've got a more manageable type building that we're building. We're it's out for bids. The one thing that we did get in as a donation was the Banky's Drugstore Soda Fountain. When we pulled it out of there, it was kind of sinking into the building a little bit, so it was a challenge. We got it out, and what we'd like to do is have that soda fountain in that new expansion to be able to actually serve Green Rivers and Red Rivers is what they served at that particular location, sodas. So that's one of the things we're working on. The other thing we're working on is the the agricultural living history has really um, took off here. Um, In 2016, before I was a director, I was a uh, 
a board member and, you know, a volunteer. And I had lived in Iowa for about four years and worked with the Belmont Area Arts Center and farm okay. and uh, had kind of cut my teeth with them on the agriculture living history side of things. And so when I moved back, we started what we called the Tuesday night work night group with the idea that this group would be here to help get the cars and the tractors and the farm equipment. And if any of the buildings needed help, kind of a, kind of a, a way to, to keep and maintain things in the back, yeah, so to speak. And ever since then, we we started with three of us. After about six months, there was another three of us that joined in. On a regular Tuesday night, you could see 10 guys show up, anywhere from the ages of 18 up to about, I think our oldest one was 81. Wow. When he finally decided he wanted to retire from the work night group. And it's a great way. We open it up to the community if, if they're interested in the farming history. It's definitely a way for them to learn. We're going to start a tractor safety course for the antique tractor starting this spring for that particular group. We're hoping that this idea grows throughout the uh, historical society and we can get some education courses going for like the treadle sewing machine. We ha- In the cabin, we have a cook stove that actually operates and we use. So if we can expand some of these education courses, I think it'll be a way to bring new volunteers in and keep the history alive. Yeah, that's great. Austin and Andrew, it's time for us to take our second break in the program. So listeners, stay tuned for more interesting information after these messages. Hey everyone, we'll be right back to Preservation Oaks with Sean Thomas Radcliffe after these important messages. Please join the Dickinson County Historical Society and Museum and support their efforts to bring history to life for you and your family. Visit www.dickinsoncountyhistoricalsociety.com and learn more about this valuable local nonprofit organization. Plan a visit, donate, join, and become a member today. You'll be glad you did. This is Dr. Paul Brennan, president of the Kailua Historical Society in Kailua. And I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. At Preservation Oaks, we love history. We are very grateful for our historical and genealogical society guests who share interesting history and information about their society, their current needs, and about what makes them unique. If you're a historical or genealogical society listening to Preservation Oaks and you'd like to be a guest on the program, please email preservationoaks at gmail.com. Again, that's preservationoaks at gmail.com. Listeners, thank you for listening. You can comment anytime about the show or send suggestions by emailing preservationoaks at gmail.com. Thank you. Hello, if you've been locked away too long and you're craving a sense of accomplishment and self-respect then look no further than by helping yourself and your community by learning more about volunteering with the museums, historical, and genealogical societies in your area. It's important to find a source of information that keeps you up to date about these valuable societies. The Right Choice is a program that's done the research for you, and that's where Preservation Oaks comes in. Every episode presents you with an all-inclusive experience with one of our nation's museums, historical, and genealogical societies, 
that we refer to as our preservation oaks. The wrong choice results in you just getting a short introduction to the organization and leaving you right where you started which is not knowing enough to make that commitment to help yourself and your community by supporting a society. Listen to Preservation Oaks, providing a bi-weekly series of programs with a variety of museums, historical, and genealogical society guests. Rather than just giving you a too brief introduction to the society, we spend the time to have fun and give you the history and the stories behind the society. What valuable services they offer to their members and the public, how they provide value to the community, and most importantly, how you can get involved and help. On Preservation Oaks, you'll get all the information you need to accelerate and lock in your decision to volunteer, support, visit, and become a member. You'll be glad you did. Remember, you can always send us comments and suggestions to preservationoaks at gmail.com. This is Anna. You're listening to Sean Thomas Radcliffe and Preservation Oaks. Introducing a totally unique experience. The Heartland Museum in Clarion, Iowa, where immersive environments, interactive exhibits, and dramatic films take you on an amazing journey of the history of American agriculture and life in the heartland of America. Discover a world where agriculture and patterns of daily life are preserved, with tractors, buggies, main street stores and more. The Heartland Museum really does have something for everyone to enjoy. The heritage they've preserved is yours. Visit heartlandmuseum.org, call 515-602-6000 or email heartlandclarion at gmail.com for visitor details, admissions, and hours. You'll be glad you did. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. We are here today with Austin Anders and Andrew Painkrantz from the Dickinson County Historical Society and Museum in the great state of Kansas, located in Abilene. We have learned so much, and this is great, guys. Thank you so much for the information you provided to our audience about your society, and welcome back. You bet. We're happy to, to help pass on our history. You guys are doing some great things, great work there in your county, what kind of funding model supports your society? So we, we have several different ways we get funded being a, a small museum. We kind of got to do different things to make things happen. Probably our biggest supporter would actually be the county itself. Every year they uh, they give us a substantial donation, and normally it's, it's large enough to kind of help us pay for our staff and some other other odds and ends. We have the Dickinson County um Community Foundation, we have an endowment over there that we continue to grow, and the, the hope is that that endowment will get big enough that it can kind of help, not maybe necessarily cover all our expenses, but we'll cover quite a few of our expenses. We have member annual memberships that we have, and we have a list of about 300 members for the historical society. Oh, that's great. And, and there's different levels that people donate on that. Uh, economic development with our events. They'll give us a couple of grants for a couple of our different events that we hold here at the Historical Society. And we very much appreciate their help. The other thing is just grants. Kansas Humanity has helped us out several times in the past with different grants that they have available. 
the federal government, you know, with the, the COVID-19, they had that show grant that was for museums like us and then for uh, venues like for plays or for like plays, live theater, different entities like that. And we were able to apply and get that this year, and that has definitely kind of helped us through some of those lean times that COVID created. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. So you also had the, the fundraising activities and that you have these activities. And I made an assumption that at every one of these events that you sponsor, you're doing fundraising. Is that true? Well, not all of them. A lot of them we do fundraising. Probably the, the, the main fundraising ones would be our Metal Arc event. We have what's known as Ice Cream Social and we have a cake and pie auction. And that's one of our bigger fundraising events. And then our Heritage Days Festival brings in quite a few people. Last year, with COVID and everything, we, we were down quite a bit. On an average year, we have about twelve to 1,400 people go through the grounds during our Heritage Days in October. This year, we had about 408 people come through. Oh, wow. It was kind of, kind of a rainy day, so that kind of kept some people away, too. And then just starting this year, we, we used to have what was called the Christmas in the Cabin. And literally, it was just kind of, we served some cookies and and hot chocolate kind of in the in the back. The cookies were in the cabin, and then we have the old Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn grocery store that was here in Abilene. We served the hot chocolate out of it. This year, we expanded that. In years past, it was a two-day event. It was free. This year, we charged $2. On an average year, we'd normally have around 400 people come through in two days. This year, we had a little over 1,000 people come through. That's nice. Did you entice Santa to make an appearance? Uh, yes, we did have Santa vacant appearance this year. We had the carousel running. We had the, the back courtyard all decorated up and Christmas lights. And we had four different, well, we had six different musical groups that, that uh, came through and played. Anywhere from bluegrass fiddle type band, we had some dulcimers. Nice. We had the local Methodist church came and sang. We had the brigade band, which is a traditional Civil War brass band play for our event, and then, of course, we, we kind of went a little above and beyond what we normally do for decorations here in the museum itself. Oh, that's great. Hey, uh, getting back to COVID, you mentioned COVID earlier. How did the pandemic affect your society, and how did it affect your communities? Well, as far as the community, you know, Abilene is set up mainly both agriculture and tourism. Now, Agriculture-wide, of course, we got big white spaces, so that wasn't probably affected as much as the tourist part of our town here. Eisenhower Center was closed down for the majority of the summertime, and so a lot of people, we get a lot of people coming in that wanted to see Eisenhower, and they'd ask us, you know, well, when are they going to open, and, yeah. you know, it, it, how, how do we get, so there were some issues there. As far as our attendance, we were down about 1,200 people from our normal attendance, so uh, we did take a, quite a bit of a shot that way. We did up some of our marketing that we did to try to entice people to come. We, we had the policy around here at our historical society, if you wanted to wear a mask, you could wear it. It was kind of an optional thing, particularly outside, out back, where you can really social distance and, and you're out in the air. Uh, here in the museum, we saw a lot of people... It kind of depended on where you're from, whether they were going to wear a mask. Right. You still have COVID restrictions in place in your county? Well, at this point in time, 
There's not really any restrictions going on. In fact, the other day, the county health department went ahead and took down the dashboard that had how many people were testing positive and so on and so forth. Yeah. We're a county of about 23, 24,000 people going over quite a few acres. And so we have the opportunity to not necessarily be in close contact. Now I know schools and stuff. There, you know, everyone got to go to Christmas. Everyone got to go to New Year's Day. And so we've had a little bit of a, a spike after that. But basically what we're kind of hearing is as soon as this spike's over, you know, we're going to be open back up. A lot of people have said, well, what about Vax cards? The grocery stores, the restaurants, they are not asking for that around here. They just ask that you do you and be respectful of if somebody has a mask. Yeah, makes sense. Now, do you guys sell any other or, you know, take donations for, I should say, any other kind of bricks or certificates or any of those things? A lot of societies do that to bring Um, in donations. Probably kind of our unique fundraisers that we have here. Obviously, you have the 1901 Parker Carousel. And what we do is every year about this time, we'll send out letters to the people that have donated to adopt either the carousel horses, which there's 22 of them, or the four sleighs that are on the carousel. It's 100 bucks for the um, horses, and it's 200 for the sleigh, and all that money goes to help maintain the carousel. As far as the buildings go, we do have an adopt-a-building as well, and it's $500 per building. As far as the buildings go, we have a placard with each building, and, and normally it's the business that adopts them, and so... For a year, that business name hangs in the building. Um, with the horses, you get to name the horse. Oh, that's neat. Do you exhibit artifacts anywhere else in the county? Do you have a relationship with other museums or maybe at the airport? We do have some stuff on display actually at the courthouse here in Abilene. We have there's a couple of uh, Davis brothers, a couple of uh, police officers, and, and some that were killed in the light of duty. And we, we have some of the artifacts, and they're currently on display at the county courthouse. That's great. That, that's kind of a, we do have a program where different, the different museums in the county can get together and meet every every quarterly, and so and we and so we borrow some stuff from some of the other museums and put them on display here, and then and we're working together to do them if they have something similar they want to do with there, we can loan them some of our artifacts on this. Yeah, real important since you're a county historical society, right? Yeah, very much so. Now I was reading, I think I got it from your website, but the uh, Heritage Center. Uh, that you maintain has a number of buildings and you've mentioned some of them but I think it's important that first of all I ask a question about one and second of all that we go down the list of what you have available for people to see. Now the question I have is on number three you listed as part of your outbuildings a cistern. I may not understand what a cistern is but I think it's a place where you store water why would that be a place for people to see? Well, of course, the, the cistern right above that is our uh, windmill. What a cistern is is basically a, a way, to, like you said, to gather water. And out here in Kansas, you don't get rain very often, few and far between. So if you want to keep your family, you know, with water, drinking water, if you want to keep your animals with drinking water, and you want to keep your crops with water, you dug down and you dug big, basically big cavities in the ground to hold water for those lean times. All right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you want to go down this list? I can do that real quick. Okay. The 
first thing you'll see, number two here, is the Volkman cabin. It was one of the very first cabins out in the Lyona Woodbine area. That family is actually still around today. I actually sat in church with them last Sunday. So it's very neat to have that. We're very appreciative to have it. It's one of our buildings that will probably be next in line to get some work done. Some of the chinking is coming out. But it's a very neat cabin, and we use it a lot around here. The next, you have the chicken coop beside it, and yes, we do have chickens on, live chickens on site. We do collect the eggs. For a small donation, you can take eggs home with. Oh, that's great, especially for yeah. kids. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. You'll you'll walk out there, and the chickens will be out in their, their little run, and the kids will just immediately get attracted to those chickens. The other thing we have is the uh, 1915 Pritchard Barn. It was moved in on site about two miles from south of Enterprise is where it came from. It's a very typical Kansas barn with a hayloft up top and, you know, down in the bottom places for all the animals and the livestock to feed. Number nine would be our ag building, and it houses our antique cars, which we have three of, one of them being the Davis Brothers police car. And they were shot back in 47 on a call, so it's kind of neat to have that history here and be able to tell their story. Yeah. Other than Tom Smith, there's only been three sheriffs ever killed in the action in Dickinson County. We hope to keep it that way. And then, of course, we have our, our antique tractors. We have some of our farm equipment in that building that we get out and use. Number 11 would be our uh, sawmill shed. We have a 1902 to about 1907 American uh, sawmill that was used here in Dickinson County for many years. I remember I was up in the northern part of the county. It was moved in, I think it was 1980, 81, 82, sometime in there. And we've used it at our Heritage Days as a, as a demonstrator piece. Normally we cut cedar on it just because it's a nice, easy wood, and people like to take that home with them. Yeah, that's nice. We have the um, the Mack truck building. That 1921 Mack truck is housed in it. It was one of the first telephone line trucks to be produced, and we're very honored to have that here as part of the telephone museum. And then the Acme uh, Telephone building itself was brought in from Acme, Kansas, which would have been in Garfield Township, which would be south and west of Abilene. It would be Garfield Township. Number 14. Sure, I have time right. Okay, so the Kellogg Schoolhouse was was in Sherman Township, I'm pretty sure. Yep, that's what it is, Sherman Township. And served up there for many, many years. Here probably in 2005, it was moved onto the property from, from where it was there in, in uh, Sherman Township, we had about four or five people that really took interest in that and made sure that it got restored to the way it needed to be. In fact, uh, one of the uh, volunteers still around this day, he, he was telling me a story uh, back uh, about five or six years ago that the inside needed to be painted, and he didn't want to be around while his wife was cooking Christmas dinner, so he spent Christmas Day uh, painting the inside of that building. <laughs> it happened to be nice enough. And then he, he went home and had his Christmas there. Well, let's see, from there we have the Brooklyn Grocery Store, which was downtown. Abilene, the gentleman that owned that store, he would start his day about 5, 5.30 in the morning and would not quit till about 10 o'clock at night. Wow. It's not a very big grocery store at all, but he was able to keep it well stocked with the, the local needs, the local cheese factories. We definitely were known, obviously, for wheat, but we definitely had bread and grain materials and stuff like that at our home. Number 16 is our blacksmith shop. It was not moved in. It was something that was built, but the contents of the building come out of our Carlton uh, blacksmith shop, which would be in the extreme southwest part of the county. 
And then the last one, and, and the one that's kind of our pride and joy around here, would be the uh, Parker Carousel. It's building. And the Parkers, I know we haven't touched a whole lot on it, but uh, W.C. Parker, um, kind of the way he got started is him and his daughter were walking to the grocery store, and he had a dollar to his name. They happened to go buy a carousel that was running at that time, and she wanted to go for a ride. And so he says, okay, we'll, we'll go for a ride. Well... 85 cents later, <laughs> he decided he better go get some potatoes and things that he needed for the month. So he called his brother up as soon as he got home and says, hey, I got this great investment idea. We need to start making amusement rides. And starting in 1886, he started making amusement rides for not only the local people, but for all over the country. He was here from 1886 until about 1911 when he moved to Lebanon. But the uh, W.C. Parker Carousel is available for rides when we're open during our, our business hours. It's $4 to ride the carousel, and everyone always seems to have a good time. I saw the picture. It's absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you. And they don't make anything like it anymore. No, they don't. Uh, we're actually going through a restoration process on the horses of getting some of them repainted. It's definitely been interesting as someone that grew up with the idea, you know, restoring things, how those horses were put together, uh, what materials were used. I mean, the tails are still real horsehair tails. They would, they were putting together in about six or seven sections of different pieces of wood to basically build up the horses and then carve and then paint it. The property that the Historical Society maintains there is actually beautifully maintained. Listeners, you can go on Google and look at the Historical Society and actually go down the road, you know, look at the um, property, and it's really well maintained. Now, Austin, in order to maintain this size of a property with as many exhibits and outbuildings and, and all of that uh, that you have to offer... You're going to need volunteers, so what kind of volunteer opportunities does the society have for members and the public? We have an 18-member board, and we maintain, I think we're only short one, we have about 17 of them on there now, and they kind of do the main business of the, um, the historical society. We have under committees, DM committee, advertising, archives. We have several under committees that help maintain different parts of the historical society itself. And then we have our general volunteers, like the, the uh, Tuesday Night Work Night group that comes in and helps with different things here, there, and yonder. We have a gentleman that for the past three years has decided he made it his mission to hop on the mower once a week and mow, mow the grass for us. And very much appreciate all that that gentleman does helping uh, the uh, Historical Society out. And we have several volunteers that are like that, whether it's the advanced, whether it's with, you know, the board itself or some of these under committees we have, we, we feel very blessed here to to have so many wonderful volunteers and we try to do our best, you know, to grow. We know that education is going to be one of the best things we can do to help grow our volunteer group. Yeah, it's always great when the community's involved. Has the society published any books? We published a, a local uh, uh, historian named uh, by the name of uh, Helen Dingra wrote a book on the past and present towns of Dixon County. And she, she has a chapter almost, probably almost every town that has existed in the, in the county in her, in her book. But we, we published that, that back, originally back in the 90s and we, we printed it just a few years ago again. And so we, we sell that here at the museum. That's yep. fantastic. So you guys have a gift shop. Yeah. Yeah. We have a gift shop where we sell some uh, other books that deal with county history. 
as well as Kansas history, as well as some. We also have shirts on sale out there and magnets and. Oh, that's neat. And candy. Yeah, our, our our biggest seller, particularly with the young ones, is we have the old-fashioned stick candy, and it always amazes me. When, you know, parents or family groups will come in, and our number one seller ends up being the stick candy. <laughs> That's great. I want to remind listeners how they can contact the society. It's Dickinson County Historical Society. It's at 412 South Campbell Street in Abilene, Kansas, 67410. The phone number is 785-263-2681. You can contact them via email at heritagecenterdk at sbcglobal.net. And their website is www.dickinsoncountyhistoricalsociety.com. They are also uh, on Facebook as Dickinson County Historical Society and Museum. The reason I mention that is because I want to talk about the website and what kinds of things can people do on the website? So on our website, we have newsletters on there periodically that people can, can read. They're not the most current up-to-date one, but they are. there are some on there that kind of give a little information. We have an event slide that tells you kind of the upcoming event. There is a membership tab, so if you're interested in becoming a member, of the Dickinson County Historical Society, you can click that tab and it'll have a drop down that has you fill out all your information and you can send it in. Of course, we have several different photos on there of, of our grounds and we have some tidbits of history on there as well of the different, different parts of not only our museum but our history. We also promote research on there as well. Can people donate through the website? You know, we don't have that feature set up on that particular website. The best way to donate to the Dickinson County Historical Society is to send it to our address here at uh, 412 South Campbell Street, Abilene, Kansas, 67410. Okay, fantastic. Can you tell the audience about any current initiatives or current needs of the societies that you want people listening to know about and support? Probably currently, probably the couple of things that come to mind is our, our building expansion that we're trying to do. We're getting bids in right now for it, but we could definitely use some donations to make sure that we can get that building up, get that meeting room going, and, and make sure that we can still uh, serve those green rivers like everybody remembers in town through our Banky Soda Fountain. The other thing that we uh, are growing exponentially on is the living history with the agriculture I was just talking to a couple of gentlemen this morning that's volunteers, and they have found some building structure material that we could use to actually put up a shop and then a lean-to to put our agriculture artifacts under. And so I think that's something in the future that um, we're going to need some help financially with as well. Yeah, that's nice. And, and then, of course, the general, you know, every museum has the general... Um, upkeep and maintenance and, you know, paid staff and so on and so forth that we could always use help with, too. Yep. So, listeners, there you are. Those are the most important things. And please donate your time and donate liberally to the Historical Society so that it can grow and so that it can play a bigger part in the community for passing on preserving history. Austin, why is the society important to the community? What makes your society different or unique from other societies? Obviously, uh, the society holds the history of the county, how we've done things in the past. It's always been said you have to look to the past so you know not to make the mistakes in the future. 
And by housing all these different items and these different things and all these wonderful stories around here, it's a way for the community that, you know, say the Stats family come in one time. We have the books on the Stats, Lasky's family, and they can come do research on their family history and their genealogy. Or say someone specifically wants to know something about a historic building within Dickinson County, they have the ability to come here and do that research. As far as us on an outreach, obviously, like I said, one of the biggest things we do around here is education and trying to make sure that everybody has that knowing and understanding of how things operated back in the day, and they can take that knowledge and information and apply it to their daily lives. What's the benefit of joining the society? So if I'm thinking about becoming a member, what benefits do I get? Well, we, we have different levels of, of membership, and of course you have your individual levels, and you get a free admission for uh, one time plus carousel rides. If you're a family member, you get six free passes for you and your guests. Uh, you get one vote at the annual meeting, and you get to use the research facility. Um, you get the quarterly gazette, and if we have any workshops or special programs going on, you get a discount. If you're a patron, which is $100 or more, you get free admissions, you get 12 of those, plus the annual meeting vote, plus the research, plus the gazette, plus the, the discounts and special programming. A corporate is 250 Basically, you get unlimited uh, chances to come into the historical society. You get one vote at the annual meeting. Use the research facility and the grounds itself. If you have a special program or a Christmas thing that you want to do, we can work with the, the group that, uh, to make that happen or make that available. Um, our benefactors is 500 more, which basically is the same as the core corporate members, and then we have lifetime membership, which is $1,000, and you get basically a mission for life. That's kind of what our structure looks like on that. That's great. What are the museum's hours, and are you open through the winter? Well, through the winter, we, we do have different hours than we do summer. Through the winter, we're open Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from 10 to 3 o'clock. During the summer hours or summertime, uh, we're open Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, Sunday. We're open from 10 to 5 o'clock that Wednesday through Saturday, and then from 1 to 5 on Sunday. Okay, fantastic. So listeners, plan a visit, make a visit to the Historical Society, to the Heritage Center in Dickinson County. They're located at 412 South Campbell Street in Abilene. Kansas 67410, and you can reach them by phone at 785-263-2681. You can email them at heritagecenterdk at sbcglobal.net, and their website is www.dickinsoncountyhistoricalsociety.com. They're also on Facebook as Dickinson County Historical Society and Museum. So the best way to support them is your time and support them monetarily. That's a great thing. They're a great organization. Austin or Andrew, is there any other information or any other message you'd like the community or members to know about? I guess at this time, like you said before here, you know, we're down here trying to do our best to keep uh, our history alive and any support, whether it be uh, voluntarily or monetarily, uh, definitely keeps us going. Absolutely. Thank you, Austin and Andrew, for spending the time with us today. We've covered a lot of history and let listeners know the value of supporting their excellent historical society and the work you're doing in the community. I've had a great time, and I hope you have as well. 
I'm so glad to meet you. It's been really awesome. Well, it's been enjoyable for us. And with that, we're going to conclude our time with our guest, Austin Anders and Andrew Painkrantz of the Dickinson County Historical Society located in the historic town of Abilene, Kansas. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap-up coming up next. You're listening to Preservation Oaks with Sean Thomas Radcliffe, the program where there's always something new. We'll be right back to Preservation Oaks with Sean Thomas Radcliffe after these important messages. This is Christy Daymeyer from the Dyersville Area Historical Society, and I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. At Preservation Oaks, we love history. We are very grateful for our historical and genealogical society guests sharing history and information about their society, their current needs, and about what makes them unique. We believe citizens need to understand their history, how their societies function, how best to support them the history they preserve, and the services provided to members and the public. If you're a historical or genealogical society listening to Preservation Oaks, and you'd like to be a guest on the program, please email preservationoaks at gmail.com. Again, that's preservationoaks at gmail.com. Listeners, thank you for listening. You can comment anytime about the show or send suggestions by emailing preservationoaks at gmail.com. Thank you. And now, back to Preservation Oak. And we're back. It's clear that the Dickinson County Historical Society is very well managed and truly one of our nation's preservation oaks. Dickinson County residents and members of the society are very lucky to have such a dedicated and professional team managing the society. When you visit the Heritage Center, you're actually getting three museums in one. There are some great benefits when you become a member. Visit, join, and donate to the Dickinson County Historical Society today. Austin and Andrew were so kind in spending time with us, and we learned a lot. They're very focused and dedicated to sharing Dickinson County history. Some highlights from this episode. The number one priority of the society at this time is a building expansion to use as an event venue for the county. Please donate to this important milestone. They're also looking to expand their educational programs and expand their agricultural artifact storage area. Of course, the Society can always use help with donations for general maintenance and upkeep. Austin related a couple of ghost stories. The first is a gory ghost story regarding the local golf course, and the second about a grave monument at a local cemetery. We learn about Abilene's history as a cow town at the end of the Thousand Mile Chisholm Trail, as well as its famous sheriffs Tom Smith and Wild Bill Hickok. You find out how Wild Bill shot the wrong man and left Abilene not long after. We learn how the citizens of Abilene shut down the cattle trade in the city so they could realize a more civil town versus a wild cow town. We find out how Abilene got its name from the Bible. Due to COVID, attendance at the Heritage Center is down, impacting society funding. Please plan a visit, donate, and join the Dickinson County Historical Society today. We chatted about 
President Dwight Eisenhower, who grew up in Abilene and Dickinson County. His boyhood home and presidential library are in Abilene. We learn how the wheat trade began in Dickinson County, Kansas. And we reviewed the history of Dickinson County. Surprisingly, Abilene is known as the Greyhound Capital of the World. Austin and Andrew review several of the Society's annual events in Dickinson County. Austin and Andrew review how the Society works with children throughout the county. Austin related a story about pioneer living and the snake that crawled out of the bed. Andrew related the history of A.B. Seeley, who made patented medicine in the county. Andrew related the history of C.L. Brown and the beginnings of Sprint Telephone Company. The Society has a research library and will help people trace their family lineage. There was an amusement park back in the day that C.L. Brown ran in the county where a huge number of people took their summer entertainment and relaxation. We chatted about the W.C. Parker Carousel from 1901 that's located on the Society's grounds a beautiful mechanism that no one produces anymore. Well worth a visit to see it. Austin and Andrew relay how they got started preserving and sharing history. With Andrew, sharing and preserving history runs in his family. We learn about election irregularities that occurred in Dickinson County. Austin provides more details about the 18 buildings located on the society property. It's well worth a visit to see them all. And lastly, the Society's Heritage Center has a gift shop where they sell historical books about the area and there's old-fashioned stick candy available for the kids. All right, if you're a listener in the area the Society serves, or if you're a listener researching ancestors in the community the Society serves, and you're not already a member, please consider joining and supporting the Society. Just to review one last time the contact information for the Dickinson County Historical Society. To connect with the Society, their address is Dickinson County Historical Society, 412 South Campbell Street, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L Street, Abilene, Kansas, 67410. Their phone number is 785-263-2681. The email address is Heritage. Center DK at sbcglobal.net. Their website is www.dickinsoncountyhistoricalsociety.com and they're on Facebook as Dickinson County Historical Society and Museum. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the society is to the community and what kinds of excellent services they have to offer to their members and the public. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Krakatoa, Elvis Herod, Mixkit, Komiku, Scott Holmes, and Symbolbird. Microstream Radio is a registered trademark. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by Microstream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of Microstream Radio. Thanks to everyone for listening. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. See you all next time on Preservation Oaks.